Chapter 7 of The New Adventures of Alice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rich Keeble. The New Adventures of Alice by John Ray. Chapter 7 The Somersault Sally. Why, it isn't smoke at all any more, exclaimed Alice. It's more like clouds, and we're flying again. And sure enough, she and the poet were flying through a sky full of billowy white clouds as soft and inviting as feather beds. The kitten had disappeared. Couldn't we stop and rest for a while on one of these comfortable-looking clouds? suggested Alice. Perhaps the kitten is coming along behind us and will catch up. The poet replied very earnestly, My child, if I may be allowed, please never rest upon a cloud. Whatever else you do, you might, while lying there, fall fast asleep, you see, and as time passed your couch might break in two. Or, as your cloud went sailing by, some mountain top or spire high might bump you black and blue. Or, say you slumbered softly there, rocked by the west wind, I declare a weather vane! Look! Do! The poet pointed excitedly ahead to where a picturesque ship weather vane had just appeared above the slowly settling clouds. It's exactly like the one on the big old house at the turn of the river near Godstow, exclaimed Alice. The clouds, which during the last few minutes had been flattening out and settling, had changed by now to a rather milky-looking sea through which the weather vane ship seemed to be sailing. Alice, as they neared the vessel, was surprised at her size and completeness. "'Why, I do believe it's a real ship!' she cried. "'And what's that name on the stern?' "'Well,' chuckled the poet, "'may I be pursued by the pump in the alley, if that's not the crazy old somersault Sally!' When they arrived on the sloping deck of the antiquated somersault Sally, the first thing Alice noticed was a number of enormous white rats in sailor suits, busily engaged in coiling up cordage. Perhaps, she said to herself, those ropes are the rat lines. But why, she asked the poet, should anyone want rats for sailors? The poet considered a moment and then said, rats always leave a sinking ship, you see, so I suppose the captain takes them every trip, for while they're round he knows... Here a rumbling voice from the forward part of the ship reached their ears, and the poet cut short his explanation of the rat sailors to say, "'Ah, oh, there's good Captain Tee-wee now. Just hear him singing in the bow!' Looking in the direction whence the sound came, Alice saw a tiny man, hardly more than two feet high, dressed in a very exaggerated nautical costume. He was doing a curious sort of a revolving sailor dance, and singing in a voice that might have belonged to a giant, the following song. Oh, never, never leave, my lads, your happy, happy home. Your parents' hearts twill grieve, my lads, if off to see you roam. Then listen to, polite, my lads, this ballad, hark ye well. For sure as black is white, my lads, it is the truth I tell. Young Percival, oh, pink, my lads, he ran away to sea. Although you'd never think, my lads, a thing like that could be. For Percy's home, you know, my lads, was fine as one could wish. So why then should he go, my lads, to face the flying fish? 
Pink's parrot sang, they say, my lads, the Battle of the Ford. Five hundred times a day, my lads, and Percy, he was bored. His mother most went mad, my lads, when Perce could not be found. She says, says she, he's went to sea, and surely will be drowned. His father, Peter Pink, my lads, says, dry your eyes, my dear. For looky, Peg, his wooden leg will float him, never fear. She sobbed afresh and said, my lads, when Hoff to sea he chased, that wooden limb, oh, woe is him, he left it in his haste. Says Pete, your tears you waste, my love, his haste with him must be. So if it's in his haste, my love, he's got it, don't you see? Then do the captain's jig, my lads, and keel and double all, and lower away the gig, my lads, and catch me if I fall. The diminutive captain's whirling bounding dance had been growing more and more energetic as the song proceeded, and with the last words which were panted rather than sung, he bounced right into Alice, who, to keep him from falling, caught him in her arms where for a while he lay gasping like a fish out of water. When Captain Tee-wee had recovered his breath, Alice placed him carefully on the deck, thinking as she did so, he looks just like a live sailor doll. The tiny fellow still seemed a trifle dizzy and uncertain, but after a moment he remarked casually, "'Last time it was the snipe caught me.' "'Oh, is the snipe on board?' cried Alice. "'I was afraid he might have been caught and put in, uh, uh, that is—' Here she broke off, for it occurred to her that it might be just as well to say nothing about the pipe and the setting of fire of the king's haystack. "'Oh, yes, he was caught,' thundered the captain, who had now entirely recovered his voice. He was caught all right enough, Missy, but they lets him out on bail. Though I'd about as lafe go to the dungeons as that to ride around on that there lovely beast. They're looking for his accomplice now, he went on very seriously, but with a mischievous wink at the poet. Some say as how he was seen at the time the haystack caught fire with a little girl with lightish hair. About your age she was, Missy, I should judge. Here the captain looked hard at Alice, then raised his eyebrows and slowly winked at the poet. "'They ought to be back soon,' he said reflectively after a moment. Alice, who was beginning to feel a little anxious, was about to ask whom he meant by they, when the ship, which had been rolling and pitching only moderately, gave a more decided lurch than usual, and the poor captain tumbled over flat on his back. Alice and the poet had barely picked him up and set him on his feet, when again he tumbled, now falling forward on his nose. As they helped him to rise, he muttered peevishly, "'If only I hadn't lost that key, I'd not be falling about so.' Then, after a vain search through all his pockets, he continued, "'That confounded snipe's probably carried it off for a joke. Souse him in bilgewater. Like as not he's a using of it now for a sinker.' "'Please, what key are you talking about, and what can it possibly have to do with your falling down so much? asked Alice with some impatience. Why, the key to my sea chest, of course, child, roared the captain. That's where I keep my sea legs, he added in quieter explanation. The feet on em, you know, are very much larger than land feet, and the knees have springs in em that pulls you up straight whenever you starts to fall. As if to illustrate this point, Captain Tiwi bent his knees and began to sway back and forth, and, the somersault Sally pitching just then unexpectedly, down he went once more, 
this time rolling over and over along the deck toward an open hatchway. Just as he reached it, a man, evidently a cook, appeared coming up through the opening carrying a very large full soup tureen, and into this with a great splash fell the poor little captain. Evidently the soup was not very hot, for the cook unconcernedly fished the sputtering captain out and set him dripping on his feet, merely saying respectfully as he peered anxiously into the tureen, "'I'm very much afraid as how most of it's spilled, sir.' Here the cook glanced meaningly at Alice and the poet and shook his head in a discouraged sort of way as if to say, "'This sort of thing happens almost every day, you know.' "'And it's probably ruined my watch,' choked the captain, mournfully, pulling from a pocket in his blouse a short length of fish line and a very curious object which looked more like a large brass peg-top than a watch. Though Alice saw that there was a row of numerals painted around it up near the peg, "'You may look at it if you like, Missy,' the captain added, handing the strange watch and the fishing line to Alice. She had started to mop him off with her small handkerchief and was having a very discouraging time of it. "'It's my self-winding port watch,' he went on proudly. "'You see? I wind it myself!' "'I suppose you have to spin it with a fish line like a boy's top?' said Alice, smiling at the captain's last remark. "'That's the beauty of it, Missy, that's the beauty of it,' cried the captain enthusiastically. "'You see, this here watch only goes while you're a-spinning of it. "'And while it's a-spinning, you naturally can't tell time by it, Missy. "'Cause why? "'Cause you can't see the numbers on it then, no how.' "'Well,' said Alice doubtfully, "'I shouldn't call that a very satisfactory kind of timepiece. "'A very good one, I should say, to lose a train by, anyway.' put in the poet with a grin. "'Best kind I calls it,' said the captain very positively. "'Never a prodding of you by reminding you it's getting late for something or other. Leaves all that to your own good judgment light.' He had been clumsily winding the fishing line about the watch as he spoke, and now drew back his arm to spin it. In so doing, he jostled the cook, who during the conversation had been standing behind him thoughtfully drinking up what was left of the soup. The tureen dropped from the cook's hands, but instead of breaking into a thousand pieces on the deck, as might have been expected, it bounced like a large rubber ball. Alice, who had been sitting on the ship's low rail, reached out wildly in an attempt to catch the tureen as it bounced over the side. End of chapter 7. Recording by Rich Keeble. www.richkeeble.com.